This is the Power to Podcast, show 56. There's certain things every day that need to happen in the classroom, like totally opinion. Kids need to talk every day to each other. They need to listen to each other. They need to read. They need to write. And they need uh, to kind of be challenged. Like those five things that were like the hallmarks of our classroom, we decided to do that. Welcome to a real-world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. Hey, 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 what's up, everyone? This is Ken Ehrman, host of the Powered Up Podcast, and I am here with my co-host, Mr. Matt, the Doorman Rogers. Matt, what is going on? The Doorman? Why the Doorman? <laughs> because you were, you went on your rant about the uh, ticket out the door. So uh, you're, the, you're the Doorman. All right, all right. You'll hear about this a little bit more later. Um, I just feel like sometimes when these educational trends come in, people just get way too carried away. That it's like the way of being the, the only way to do it is this method. And so, um, besides that, you know, Ken, I'm doing well. And honestly, I love, uh, not having to just talk to you this week. We've been doing a few, uh, just the you and I, and don't get me wrong. I love you, buddy, but it was nice to, to talk to an awesome educator out of Texas um, James was incredible tonight. Yeah, absolutely. It was nice to to have a guest back. We've we've uh, not had so many the last few weeks. Uh, we we have a, a long stretch of them lined up again. So I'm ex- I'm excited to get to get back at that. Uh, but yeah, we we interviewed. Uh, we we had a conversation with James Farlack from, like you said, from South Texas. Uh, just a really unique perspective. We talked a lot about uh, different topics. A few things that we really haven't talked about before. Uh, background knowledge, tech integration, uh, the approaching current events, things that are slightly controversial, the impact on your local community, just a, a lot of neat things. What was one thing that really, really stood out to you? I think, you know, through a lot of our conversations, we've talked about how can we be as authentic as possible? How can we not necessarily shy away from being ourselves in the classroom. And there's definitely a level of, you know, we don't cross certain barriers in our conversations with our kids. But James kind of talked about how there's a need geographically, but also um, just the way to interact and, and get faith from when he was teaching seventh grade or what have you. To, to get that buy-in is to, to give the opportunity for kids to be themselves. And that includes you being vulnerable. And, and you'll hear towards the end about how listening is so powerful, but we've heard that a lot. We, I mean, go to almost any training you'll hear, like listen first, act and speak after. Um, but I felt like through this conversation, as he was kind of wrapping up our conversation, he spent 
the entire podcast essentially clarifying you know this is what you're listening for this is the why you you listen this is how you you know when we talk about sel social emotional uh learning and and how you can incorporate it i i felt like i heard things in that conversation tonight that was like yeah that's why people stress it it's not just a a front of saying hey you care about the kids and the kids will care about you and happen to care about the learning. Um, I, I thought that there were some really authentic parts of what he was saying and, and things that you can directly incorporate just because we care about the kids genuinely. What, what were some of your feedback and, and takeaways? Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. And I, I really liked the part where he, he talked about how and why he uses, he started to use technology himself and kind of the framework he brings uh, when when coaching teachers as a as a ed tech coach himself now, uh, because it's, you know, he talks about bells and whistles and, you know, you got to avoid that stuff. It, it can be fun and the novelty is a, is a piece of teaching and it's fun to do different things to excite the kids. But genuinely on a daily basis, that's not going to that's not going to work out for creating that genuine engagement. And and I thought he had a nice mindset and framework for deciding how and when to use technology. So uh, I'd say without any further delay, let's let's jump right into that interview with James. Mr. James Varlak, welcome to the Powered Up Podcast. How are you doing today? Doing fantastic, Matt and Ken. Glad to be here. Excellent. So kick things off for us. Introduce yourself, uh, where you're coming from, and kind of just a snapshot of what your career in education has looked like thus far. Sure. Be glad to. So uh, my name is James Varlak. Uh, currently, I'm a digital learning specialist with McAllen ISD that is in Texas and South Texas, and it's a, a border area. So uh, one of the cool things that I tell people is uh, when I drive to work every day, we drive through a little section of a levee, and that levee has a large section of the border wall. So that is kind of like my claim to fame with the family. They're like, hey, is it, you know, dust bunnies and, you know, horses and cowboys and all that i'm like no we got we got roads we got cities and all that uh so we i work for a great district McKellen isd about twenty thousand students and uh our team of specialists we support technology learning uh, in the classroom so support uh, teachers students uh, staff whoever it is that needs help we're there to provide support provide training and um uh, educational journey so i got my undergrad in accounting and i thought i was gonna go that route uh, go the whole CPA and, you know, uh, big firms and, and uh, got into it, started uh, my, uh, right after I got my bachelor's, started working for um, a, a department at our local university here, uh, doing some accounting work. And uh, I found that it was uh, a little boring, uh, to say the <laughs> least. No, no, not kind of accountants, if y'all have an accounting degree. Uh, the work was, We need them. Uh, we need them. We need them. <laughs> So, uh, uh, yeah, so I found uh, there was not as much interaction as I thought there was going to be. So uh, the books are great, you know, great book work. I like the organization and the flow. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, I got my alternative certification. So here in Texas, you get your alternative certification and you, you do a couple of months of classes, take your test. So I passed my test and I went for an interview, got hired at the first place. Uh, that I uh, applied to and I taught math, right? So they saw the accounting and they were like, oh, okay, we, we're going to teach math. And so in Texas, you could get a certification that kind of covers like fourth through eighth 
the main subjects, you know, ELA reading. So we call it, the, used to be called the generalist. Uh, so that's what my certification was in, but I got, you know, into the math classroom. And so um, I, I actually got hired because the teacher retired in the middle of the year. So it was a tested area in our district and at that grade level, sixth grade. So I uh, kind of was thrown into the fire. Um, and what I mean by that is, right, they were kind of like in their mode of preparing for the test. Um, so from February to May did that, you know, I, I don't know if the kids learned anything that year. Uh, I learned a ton, uh, but then came back and taught four more years of middle school math. So I did sixth and then seventh grade. And then um, after that, I moved into campus technology. So I went to um, uh, the high school that's kind of right down the street and uh, was hired as what's called a campus technologist. So we provide support, like actual support, support, fixing, uh, making sure things are running good, and then training as well. So it's kind of like a half and half job. And now I'm in the, uh, you know, tech coaching role. Uh, I've done that for the last three years. So, um, you know, a great family, three kids, and my wife, Dawn, who is a counselor also at the local high school here. So that's my, my journey. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, um, I already had two kind of questions and topics I wanted to, to jump into. So I'm actually going to go with the, the second one that came to mind for me. Uh, so you, you started in accounting and then you transitioned directly into teaching math. So, you know, we'll say you were a math expert. Obviously, you have to have a, a large amount of, of skills and knowledge and just natural ability to be successful in accounting. And then you're coming in and you're teaching, you know, just a general population of students math concepts. So in that in that first year and even in your second year, uh, was there any type of struggle with, you know, you trying to teach something that's so easy for you and so natural for you? Because I find a lot of times content experts, that can be a struggle for us where it's so easy, it's hard for us to break it down or to find alternative ways to to get an idea or a concept to click for students. So kind of how, how, how did that shake out with with moving into that, that position? So I would say, um, first it, I, I was like, I would remember how I was taught. So we received our content, we received the scope and sequence. And, uh, this is, you know, these are good testing strategies, but when you're a new teacher in the classroom, I feel like you kind of go with what's comfortable for you kind of more than what may be what you know. So obviously you don't really know that much about how students learn, um, their competencies, um, you know, uh, directing strategies towards specific traits that they do, working with special ed students. Those are things that you really have no clear understanding about. So what I would do is I was like, oh man, we're, we're, we're multiplying fractions. Man, this is so, so easy, right? So to myself, who I thought was a pretty fairly good math student, this was going to be an easy concept for me to teach. Now, once I got into the flow of providing that concept and like, okay, now I have to actually work on a lesson. So like teaching and then creating a lesson like can be totally polar opposites if you are not kind of like trying to like bring them together. So you can create a lesson and that lesson can kind of be the, a miss, right? But you know, you feel like you have the content great. You're, you're, you're absorbed in the content. You really feel like you understand it. But creating that lesson to dynamically reach the kids, that's that's different. So uh, for that example, multiplying fractions, I was just had a whiteboard, had some uh, expos, and I had a few notes and they had the journals. And I was like, okay, so we'll go through this and 
will take the notes of their journals and then like clockwork, if they follow the steps in the journal, they're going to be able to get to mastery. Right. So it's like, I was like, you know, got this, you know, got this. Um, so what I found out was, is there were some of the students who learned that way. And then I found out a majority of the students did not learn that way. They could take the notes. Right. And there's always this disconnect when a student is writing down and having to look and writing, right. Sort of a disconnect does something to the brain. So going through that, being in this classroom that I felt like was real quiet, they had, I had their attention, right? Great, you know. Um, but in the end, as soon as the assignment or that inter- independent practice was given, question after question was raised, and I don't understand, and you know, and so kind of it's a little defeating, a little bit, right? Because you're like, man, I thought I, I thought I had this great, but luckily I have I had a master teacher. I, this lady, uh, Miss Gaetan, like she's a master teacher. She approached everything with a hands-on kind of view. And so um, that's what I learned from her. And so I kind of took those things like right there into the classroom. Now, you know, the kids like gaining respect and classroom management and all those things, those are things that you can actually grow in, right? No, No doubt you can grow in. So those are the little things that I felt like I needed to grow in to like be able to take what I knew in my head and then help the kids like learn. Right. And so um, that summer, I remember my wife and I, uh, I just got the job and she was like, why do you spend so much time at school? And I was like, well, I'm sorry, baby. No, school ends at this time. But man, I've got so much to learn and catch up on. And and so to get to know my students, you know, and so I was trying to do that all in between this framework of the standardized test that students had to take. Right. So um, I would say, I think if you are a master of your content. And I, I, I will say that in uh, areas maybe like where the teacher has been a little more seasoned, they've had a lot of years experience, uh, they can they can like write the entire curriculum, right? They don't even need, they can just write it. Um, but if you lose the touch of, uh, um, if you lose the touch of uh, trying to place it in a, a, like a student's view, or how student is going to absorb this, uh, that is where the content and the learning is going to kind of meet a, meet a barrier. So I was always trying to like, man, read a couple books on how students learn. I would go sit in on a lot of classrooms. Um, we had some great teachers on our campus, so I would always take the chance and opportunity to go sit in their classrooms and kind of just take a little bit. So after my first full year, which was the next year, I felt like, okay, now I can kind of build a lesson and take that lesson and then get to know my students and kind of put those things together. Mm. I think that that's, uh, you know, the, the growth of teaching um, is really the idea of taking the content and figuring out that that's, that's the addicting part of teaching. And it might, it almost sounded defeating at first, uh, at least to me, when I would teach concepts and I would recognize that not everyone in kind of, internalize the understanding, as you were kind of mentioning, the majority of the kids didn't. So you had to kind of figure out other ways that you could connect to the students. Um, I'd love to ask a question. I had, I I was, I'm like, can I have multiple things? I guess I'll go this way, not to jump totally far ahead, but what did you do in terms of 
leveraging, obviously you grew to use technology pretty fluidly and comfortably because, I mean, flash forward, you're now as a tech integrator, tech coach, um, kind of merging curriculum with technology. So I'm assuming you le leverage that. How do you feel like you capitalized on your resources to be able to teach the whole child or hit more directly um, more kids while still teaching the same amount of time? Okay. So again, living here on the border, we have a gambit of situations that we kind of have to deal with. And so taking into account um, things like language barrier, how new the student has, how long the students been in the United States. Um, we were thrown um, issues like, uh, you know, uh, you know, the border is always a hot issue, but, uh, you know, student literally the day before uh, enters the United States, comes and lives with a parent, or he was sent to Mexico, or she was, he or she was sent to Mexico for a time period. Now they're coming back to the States. So uh, language is a, a huge barrier, right? So uh, didn't realize that so much uh, because uh, the district that I work in, uh, they mostly are a, a lot of English speakers, you know, or dual language, or second language. Um, so, um, using tech, right? So, uh, going into campus, um, uh, I saw the resources that campus had, you know, for every teacher, there's a nice little cart, laptop projector. Um, and that was that kind of like the hard devices. Um, but I didn't see anything on the lines of student devices. Okay. Um, they had a computer lab and a couple computer labs the students would go to, to do, you know, typing practice. Uh, we had a little math program that everyone had uh, uh, could log into and do you know, an assignment or a lesson. Um, but I was looking towards technology. So accounting background, went to a little info systems class in my undergrad, and I was like, okay, this is, this is pretty cool stuff. So I liked, you know, how, you know, the Google integration stuff was working, you know, how, how kind of uh, you could share, like that's the, the coolest thing about Google is sharing. And so um, I was like, well, that'd be really cool. So got to campus, saw the hard devices, but also knew that we had every uh, student staff and, and teacher had, uh, you know, access to the G Suite, right? Whatever it started out as G Suite has changed so many names now. Um, but I didn't really think about it until I needed to address a problem. So once I had this problem and the problem was I wasn't really able to connect with my students like um, daily. I had groups of kids. We I started out and we had blocks. And in a block, I could, right? I had half the amount of students. We had them for two periods. So I could make contact with every single student every single day, okay? The next year when I moved into seventh grade, I was unable to do that. We had 45-minute periods, 25 to 30 students each class, and it was a struggle to just make contact with them. So I, I, I had a goal that three times a week, I was going to just touch base with the student. Hey, how you doing? How's it going? How, how are you doing class? Are you having any you know, trouble? Do you, you know, can I partner you with someone, you know, another student that you feel like can kind of bring you up? What, what, whatever the case may be. And I always would start with the low students because, you know, I felt like they needed the most kind of oversight, the most support. And then I was like, okay, well, this is kind of crazy trying to run around and do this three times a week. Uh, and 
I felt like I didn't know if I was making an impact or not. So most of that had to do with formative assessing or assessing of some type, right? So you go through the lesson, you kind of get good feedback. You felt like the lesson was good. But then when you're doing the assessment part of it, at the time, uh, everything was kind of just like this, this paper format. And so you'd have to you know, grade the papers or, hey, guys, we've got like five minutes to grade papers real quick. You know, throw them around, twitch, okay, boom, boom, boom. Um, but then that feedback, right? Once you have the grade, it's very easy to just submit the grade and then that lesson kind of goes as part of your six weeks, right? And just kind of goes to the side. So I was looking to do a couple things, assess them, right? Didn't have to be anything super formal, could be informal, could be quick, uh, make it timely or three things, timely, and then give them feedback, right? And so Google Forms became a great <laughs> little tool just to do that, right? This Google Forms, this is the greatest thing ever. Um, and so this kind of was... Kind of, kind of was before the whole. It was, you know, the quiz kind of feature came a little bit later, but you could still use it right, uh, right out the bat. And so, um, spent some time, and I, what I did is like limited my assessments, right? So, like, okay, we're gonna do five questions. A quiz is gonna be five questions. If I, if I don't have a good understanding after five questions, uh, then, then I'm, I'm doing something wrong, right? So I started doing that. And then at first it was like, okay, so now how do I get students to take this assessment? So I started scheduling lab times. Hey, we're going to go. Guys, you're going to go in here. I'm going to put a timer up. And the timer wasn't to just limit them, but the timer gives them that, like that visual, like, hey, I need to be on it, right, at this time. So we go in and, and do that. And so I was able to kind of specifically address those needs that I had, right? That technology helped me solve that problem. Now, from there, what the students in turn, so I was like, okay, so how did you guys feel about that assessment? Is it better than paper? Right? Oh, yeah, it's great, sir. It's great. It's wonderful on paper. Okay, what's the challenge you see by it? Okay, well, sir, if, you know, I, I don't read too well, so, you know, reading on there and then having to answer in a time limit is, is challenging. Okay, okay, well, we can kind of figure something out or whatever. Um, so then I got to, you know, navigate with the special ed teachers and kind of figure out, you know, certain things that would work with students and work with everyone. And so, um, so Google Forms specifically helped me do that. And downside or the good side is, uh, so they still took a paper in to the test, right? So they would just still mark their answers on a piece of paper. Um, so that I had something physical if a parent did, you know, ask for something, I, I had something to give them. Uh, it wasn't no screenshotting at the time and sending the emails a little bit right before that kind of those workflows came in. Um, but I felt like that definitely helped me save time and I was able to touch base. So on the flip side of that, what I would do is then we would kind of do a little assessment on Thursday and on Friday, we'd had this little project-based learning, something they could kind of work together. That's the time that I was able to kind of like pull those students in and say, hey, you did awesome. You did great. Um, on the, the little Google form, right? I was able to uh, add that little uh, ending statement to say, hey, you know, great job. No matter what your score is, you know, you matter and great and all that. So those, I was able to kind of address those things specifically with Google Forms. So my understanding and my view of technology in the, in the classroom is if it helps you kind of address a problem, that is like where it's the most powerful, okay? It's going to help you reach every kid every day at any time. That's what now I, I love about it. I love how you you identified that you started with a problem and you know that is that is what technology you know putting education aside that's what technology is here for 
it solves problems for an individual, for a group of people, for, you know, whatever that is, running businesses, being entrepreneurs, or that all that type of stuff is you are there to solve problems. And, you know, so often I feel like teachers want to use technology because they see their colleagues using this this tool or they see it on Twitter or Instagram or, or TikTok and they think they need to use it. And anytime I have a conversation with a teacher with when they say, I want to use this tool, answer my question is, you know, what is it, how is this going to transform your classroom or what problem are you trying to solve with that? So I love how you identified that. And, you know, Google Forms is, you know, I'm right, I'm right there with you in that, that fan club, especially probably around the same, same time, uh, the same years as you. It's, it's such a simple thing, like you said, that you can check in on with, with students. Uh, it can give the automatic feedback now. You can give them the feedback afterwards individually. And it's such a simple thing. You know, when I was doing it in my classroom, I had 10 laptops for 30 kids. It's completely doable because I had them solve it on paper and the Google form was the answer submission. And, you know, it gives you that information and then you can say, okay, everybody bomb this. I'm going to teach everybody tomorrow the same lesson. Or, you know, these three kids, they're almost there. They just need a little bit more support. So I'm going to pull them during morning meeting. I'm going to pull them whenever they, whenever I have the time. And, you know, that that all starts, like you said, with that problem. Your problem was you wanted to have more of an individual relationship with your students. And, you know, you created systems that allowed you to be more efficient. So you had more time to visit with more of those students in a meaningful, purposeful way. You know, you're, you're doing it so that you're gaining that information so that when you meet with when I meet with Matt, I know exactly why I'm meeting with Matt, because he's excelling at this or he's struggling with this or he's right where I want him to be. And I can, you know, I can push him to the next level. Matt, I know you have a, a love hate relationship with data. Um, you cringe at, you cringe at the word, but you know, you know how much I love it and how much I, I push you to use it. How Matt, over the last couple, last few years, how has that changed for you? Or, you know, how do you use it? How do you not use it? Where do you think you should use it? Just, you know, how has that changed for you over the past couple of years? So uh, to James, give you some context, I am definitely more like I feel very ingrained with my kids and I feel very much uh, body language and, and very observational data to kind of understand. And I know that that's not a foolproof way, but, you know, even today we were re readjusting groups based off mid-year testing and it's a it's so much more of a judgment call than it is just data. And I think that we get caught up in data. I actually had a data meeting and my, my class is performing well. I have a high performing class and I got really frustrated because my administrator asked for me to pull up a uh, data uh, form that I don't think represented where my kids were. So I, that whole like misconstrued how we can look at different things. Um, at the end of the day, data is super valuable. I, I think, you know, not to add stress, but I have a, uh, Ken and I have a friend of ours that would do something fairly similar. He was a science teacher in middle school level. And he, in order to kind of keep track of kids, if they were staying up with their notes and doing their homework, he would create a, a Google form and ask them to, you know, insert from page 33, answer to number three, and from 42, this answer, and then he would toggle on uh, data validation. Um, 
and answer validation. So they'd have to answer with the exact text. And the simple fact of the matter is he would know instantaneously within three minutes if a kid is submitted or not, whether they did all the work they were supposed to or not. And it was at random. It was kind of like his way to only check kind of a, a portion of it instead of feeling like you need to hold them accountable for every possible thing that they're doing. Um, so I just, I've always thought, you know, the leveraging of tickets out the door is obviously helpful, but I almost think that it's too little too late. Um, to get out the doors are great for the teacher for you to sit overnight and process if you are going to reflect. Um, but formative assessment, formative assessment that goes on throughout the lesson allows you to adjust in the moment a little bit differently. That's just my feel of things. Not well. I think the important piece is that you, you regardless of whether it's a ticket in the door, out the door, or to to stay in the door or in the middle of the the lesson, the the key point that you said, Matt, is that it's used. Yeah. You use it and you adjust and you reflect and you, you adjust your, your teaching. James, I, I cut you off. Please chime in. That's okay. I was definitely going to say, yes, there's certain things every day that need to happen in the classroom. Like totally opinion. Kids need to talk every day to each other. They need to listen to each other. They need to read. They need to write. And they need uh, to kind of be challenged. Like those five things that were like the hallmarks of my, our classroom we decided to do that. And I think formative assessment can be done at any of those times. And I, when I understood like, okay, you can kind of do these checks during the lesson instead of like waiting till the end, I, we had summary. So I hated, not, I, I was a quiz person, which is great, but I love to give the kids a little summary. Tell me how you learned it, what you learned, how you learned it, right, today. It could be anything, two, two, you know, two or three sentences. And I, I'll tell you what, I got in a habit of just making it like a check instead of really absorbing what they told me. So I would come into class and the next day would be like, sir, did you read what I wrote? And I'd be like, oh, well, haven't gotten to it, but I'll get to it. Right. So yes, I, and I love data as well, but I do think we kind of, so like when I first came to classroom, like, like you said, I was like geared to the data is going to help you do this. And, only this data will help you do this for this kid or whatever, right? So having that data was great, um, but it sometimes it doesn't measure, you know, the challenge that the kid's having, right? It doesn't measure the heart that a kid put into an assignment. It doesn't measure their growth. I mean, you can see, like, some kids, right, give uh, multiplying fractions, right? If they were able to do two out of three steps, maybe they could only do one step before, right? So all those things kind of still have to play. But, I mean, I'm never going to, like, say data is you know whatever because it is a very valuable piece it's just how you kind of like you said you have to use it you have to kind of look at it and uh, i had a friend who his his administrator did the same thing just kind of put him on the spot and was like hey so uh, i know you we've been doing this whole data thing can you kind of tell me what your <laughs> thoughts on it are and he's like well i mean i use data in a different way and then you know i kind of started another conversation so yeah totally totally love, like those sentiments i should say 
I, I should just say real quick, if my administrator is listening, of course, I care about data, <laughs> right? Like it does matter. To, uh, and we're in that phase right now that even coming out of a meeting like that, you know, I am still reflecting. I am recognizing that, you know, what pacing could increase or how do I create smaller groups for to create other opportunities? There is plenty of good and it really is the basis of good instruction. But I think sometimes, you know, as an early educator, I got too caught up on a certain aspect of education. And I sometimes feel like data is something that, you know, people feel like is so important that they gravitate towards data before they gravitate towards recognizing kids and how they perform. And I would rather go in that direction and add the data knowledge after the fact. Yeah, I was going to jump in and say, you know, as you were as you were talking about that, James, it's it's kind of like, you know, the the traditional big brother relationship, your big brother, you know, beats you up, teases you, picks on you, gives you wedgies, does tortures you. But the moment someone does that to your little brother, the big brother is defending you know, that that little brother and, and pushing away the bully or, or whoever is doing it. You know, data is kind of the same thing, like when other people look at the data and just try to generalize the students, generalize where you're at, you get very defensive about it. But when it's your own data and you're using it to personalize the learning experiences for your students and you're doing it to make sure that you're providing them what they need in support or what they need in enrichment to grow, that's where the power of data comes in. It's it's like your own, your own personal part of, of the room and Matt, like you said, the most important part is that you you know the kids. You have to understand them. You have to understand that, you know, when a student is struggling, how are you going to support that student? And you know that through the relationship you have with them, the data just identifies what skills you need to need to support them support them with that. So you've mentioned it a couple times, James, about the the border being part of your local community. So I'm just curious if if it was ever part of your instruction or maybe you've supported teachers or it's just been ingrained in your schools. How how are you taking current events and things that are happening and being seen on the news and being talked about in local politics and national politics? How does that have an impact on on the culture of your school? or even just daily lessons where you're addressing that, you know, current events is usually a big part of social studies classes. And it has a much different feel when I'm talking about a current event of something happening across the country versus a current event happening in my backyard. So just curious, like, you know, how do teachers approach that, that type of instruction or, or, and, and how it's kind of ingrained in your, in your classes? Uh, great question. So, uh, our previous, uh, presidential administration um, when, so uh, most folks know that uh, our border towns, um, we have what's called, so the government uh, allots money, money to support wall building. And then there's a lot of private uh, groups that do the same thing, right? So um, for example, the one that was sort of literally like down the street from where I live, uh, which is, it's like half a mile, um, when that started going up, what it does is just raises awareness and it gives talking points for right teachers in the classroom. And so since that's a hotbed topic constantly, um, teachers are able to, you know, take what's going on in the news or whatever and share. 
And so what we do, so for our end, like uh, what, what I was able to do is um, our, our district is very big about um, telling a story for your classroom, right? You want your story to be told, you need to tell it uh, any particular number of ways. So it could be, you have a Twitter account, right? You have an Instagram, you have some uh, medium that you're communicating with the community. So uh, almost, you know, the majority of teachers in elementary, middle and high schools have uh, some form of doing that, right? And so um, what we're able to do is kind of just fine tune and point them to resources, for example. Uh, you know, when the, our, the swallow was going up here, there was a couple of folks um, that were protesting the building uh, that were going every day and sharing and, you know, the actual building, what was going on, like how much progress has made this day, you know, the time is coming when we need to act and, and things like that. And so we could, we were able to point teachers to those conversations, right? And so, um, you know, if I was sharing, like, you know, we were giving a session on Twitter, it would be, oh yeah, yes, it's great to be connected. You know, you get to learn and all that, but but actually look what's going on right now in our backyard, right here in Mission, right? I live in a town called Mission. So I was able to point them directly to that, show them that account. And then I was like, okay, so now that we have this, what is something else we could do? And so we posed a question to them. I got some great responses. Hey, why don't we go to Google Earth and show them kind of like our this area, right? On Google Earth, because some of the students can't actually go here, but we can show them on Google Earth. That's a great idea. Why don't we try doing that? Okay, uh, why don't we f- see if we can find out if there's anything online about who these groups are that are, you know, funding this or, or, or groups that are raising awareness about it. Um, why don't we do that? Okay, great. Yeah, let's find, that's a great idea. We can try that. Um, how, what do you, what, what about having just a conversation about what a wall is, right? What a barrier is. Uh, do you have barriers in education? Do you have barriers in your classroom? Do you have barriers at your house, you know? Um, so we pointed to, to, to things like that. And so um, the community leaders are always willing to jump on a Zoom, right? As soon as Zoom blew up, like everybody was wanting to get in the classroom and like, hey, can I come talk to your students, whatever. So um, doing that, you can get with community leaders. So we have uh, leaders who are active uh, with, with ball, with, excuse me, with the wall, with um, uh, helping students, uh, you know, social services, finding uh, those type of things for students that are just coming across. So we had a lot of uh, people that were connected, right? In schools, everyone knows each other pretty much. Our town is about 40, 45,000. So everyone knows each other <laughs> pretty much. So, they, but they're able to, you know, contact folks with healthcare, contact folks that work for the government, uh, contact uh, our local chamber of commerce and, and bring those uh, people in and have conversations with them. So the one teacher that specifically mentioned the Google Earth uh, it was good because uh, we, I pointed her to a quick little video on how to use Google Earth. Uh, she had just uh, gotten a nice projector for her classroom, right? So she was able to uh, use her laptop, go and show this area, show the street view. And it, it was pretty cool for the students. And then they had a discussion about, you know, um, you know, her discussion was on, okay, so if this wall is, uh, you know, it wasn't, I was, it was, she was trying to keep the political politics out of it, but saying, you know, here's how they build a wall. And now do we have barriers in our classroom? How can we, you know, get rid of our barriers to learn? So I felt that was a pretty cool lesson that she did. I mean, I think uh, the main thing is to, to, ignorance is not always bliss and it's, it is a learning opportunity and it's, you know, how do you handle a, a difficult top 
topic with grace and turn turn it into lemonade out of that lemon situation because everyone has their own different view on the whole situation and it's probably not the conversation that you want to have across dinner um, let alone in your fourth period class and it reminds me we had the chance to talk to a, a, an instructor from uh, Flint, Michigan and one of her big projects was when the water crisis, Jessica Matthews, um, she was a high school, uh, or I guess is a high school, um, was it um, writing, creative writing or? Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, she did like, she taught like, she really brought activism into her writing courses. So there was this, there was this element of like viewing it as a, instead of poor me or whatever your view of it might be, how can under the professionalism of a great educator like yourself or Jessica in that situation, how can we change our own mental picture? Because it's all, we're going to see everyone's view of it on the daily basis that anything's happening. So really interesting to kind of hear your, your side of things and, and how, you know what, you take that as, again, a learning opportunity. How can we um, make that the, at certain points, Obviously, there's times that you want to talk about other things, but when it's necessary, how you can capitalize on on that, because it's going to be engaging. It's going to be more intrinsically motivating, which leads to higher understanding rates if it actually affects them. Um, and then you're pulling in, you know, a deeper understanding through visualizing it through Google Earth or, you know, what pulling math concepts into what is the expense or what is the the distance that it's covering these type features just makes it practical and, and kind of taps into it, which I think is fascinating. Transitioning a little bit, I just have a just a com comment that I wanted to bring up earlier, but, you know, in your role as we've talked to a bunch of educators at this point that grew up and at nine years old, they knew they wanted to be a teacher and they just waited for the moment until they could step into that classroom. And sometimes what we hear, maybe not from who we interview, sometimes we hear that it's difficult to take criticism or challenge from that type role as I don't know if I would consider education a second career. I know you had a fairly short accounting career before um, getting that additional uh, qualification to teach, but you had real world application um, before you came into the classroom. What do you feel like are the benefits and or the challenges of not being this, you know, traditional uh, graduate uh, going into education, um, what do you feel like that offers your kids or just your journey to um, navigate the fresh? Let me just say, I almost feel as a lifetime educator, I've never done anything else that I don't know. And so I, I often think grass is always greener um, frequently, whereas you might say, you know what, I remember when I was doing accounting and it was miserable, right? Like it was fine. I, I was good at it, but like it was so boring that I would much rather put up with someone throwing a temper tantrum or whatever compared to just not feeling like I'm making an impact. So that is context. <laughs> and actually it was really short. It was really literally about five months wow. between the time I finished my certification and then had to go to the guy who was my boss at the time 
And as soon as I knocked on this door, he said, you got something to tell me. (laughs) I sure do, sir. (laughs) So um, I do think having the real world experience, well, anyone's experiences, right, are going to be of value in the classroom. So coming from that accounting standpoint, um, I think I've, I've not been a college student in education uh, you know, I, so I can't speak for anyone, right? But I do feel like, um, you know, work experience, especially work experience, is a great thing to have in the classroom. I remember going through some of my accounting classes, and I we'd ask like, "Oh, sir, you know, how 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 is it out there in the CPA world?" And they'd be like, "Oh, uh, as soon as I got my doctorate, I, I was I, I've just been teaching." So we that was very surprising to me that they were teaching these courses and. They didn't really have any real world experience. There was no knock on them. It was just that if I we had a question about that, they were giving us a theoretical answer, right? Instead of saying, well, here's kind of what we tried out, you know, in the real world. So those type of responses you can give if you've had, you know, a little real world experience, okay? Um, I think it's always beneficial to different things. I remember also signing up, there was a like a summer program where you could go work at an industry related to your what you're teaching and then bring that back to the classroom through lessons and things. So I actually worked for our little appraisal district and how they appraised homes and all that. And so that was like coolest things that I thought. And so I was able to take that experience and again, right into a seventh grade classroom. Uh, our first week I was like, you know, why, you know, there, the question's always like, why is math important? Why do kids need to know math? Why am I going to use this, sir? You know, we got to get those questions daily. And so you can never give a perfect answer, but this was a way I could connect that to a practical way and say, okay, so you're going to have a home someday. Okay. Uh, You're going to have to have a job to pay for the home, but here is how the county kind of takes and thinks your home is worth this. And so what you have to do is say it's worth this, and then you have to go and you have to go talk about it. And then the committee is going to decide and all this. Um, So I, I do think, Real world experiences, not necessarily a must, but, um, you know, it is very uh, valuable to bring any of your experiences, even, I mean, I worked at a grocery store for like, you know, five, six years while I was going through college and all that. So even those little things, it was very practical and, you know, you know, easy to kind of tell. And the students want to know about you. So it's like, you know, that whole juxtaposition. But um, we have a lot of students, you know, the whole the hot thing is tying industry now to uh, the classroom, right? So you want to have kids that are going through these programs and they want to walk right into a job. Um, I mean, I couldn't stress and feel like that's any more valuable than it is because it's like amazingly important that kids can kind of find something to connect to and it doesn't have to be their career. It doesn't have to be whatever they're going to do, right? They don't have to know what they're going to be endorsing in ninth grade when they're going to change or go to college for something else. But uh, I do think they need to be able to connect with something. Right now in our, our district, we're kind of rolling out some esports. And a uh, quick shout out to my district, my director, Ann, and our specialist, Rosie Gonzalo. Good quick shout out to them. Um, they're amazing, amazing team. Um, but we're rolling out esports. And so s- something like that is a way for kids to connect. They don't have to necessarily say I'm going to be a gamer when I get older or whatever. But uh, we're able to take some of, we had a, a local esports company come in and they put on, put on a, a, um, a competition and the kids were able to see kind of like the back end setting everything up and how it's going to run and uh, you know uh, you know 
how the network needs to be, you know, how the setup needs to be. So, so things, small things like that. Right. Um, so I do think it's valuable and I would, I would definitely say I needed more training before I got in the classroom because that was just me. I, if I'd have had maybe a couple of years of student teaching and I subbed, right. But subbing, not necessarily the same kind of, it's, it's done kind of for you and you're kind of just like performing. Um, but like things like engagement, right. Uh, like this engagement thing. So I was like, if I had the kids quiet, I was like, that's great, right? <laughs> kids are quiet. They're listening. They're locked in. Uh, come to, and I used to teach where I was in the middle of the class and uh, kids were on the sides and in the back behind me. So literally the last two rows behind me were asleep pretty much when I was teaching. So like that was, so I, you know, changing around your classroom, uh, uh, how to get students' attention, right? In a timely way. Uh, learning those type of things, not necessarily from, you know, you have your teachers that you can ask, but if I went through a couple of programs, I had classes, I do think that is valuable as well. So I think it's kind of like a win-win. Um, either going to get some experience or you're going to get some some good training to bring in. So Absolutely. And I think, you know, like you said, it's so important to just let them to get to know you. You know, when I first, my first probably six or seven years teaching, I was working at a restaurant Friday nights. You know, I would leave school, go right there and stay there till two in the morning. And kids would just be surprised to hear that I was doing that. And, you know, I would talk about the skills that I was using working in the restaurant that connected to concepts that we were learning in class or projects I was doing at my house, you know, um, when I was tiling floor, figuring out how much tile I needed, those simple things and how it connects to the concepts we're learning. But also, like you said, the, the push for students going right into the workforce or the trades, you know, that's a, that's a big thing in Pennsylvania right now too. And it doesn't have to be their career. I was last year, I was working with a welding class uh, as we had some teachers in and out. And I, I don't know how to weld. I know how to do a lot, but I don't know how to weld. And I said, you're not going to be welding when I'm, while I'm here, but let's talk about how can you utilize the skills you're going to learn here and benefit from it when you leave this class or when you leave high school. You don't have to pursue it as a career, but, you know, having the ability to weld is a pretty is a is not a common skill. Can you can you have a little side hustle? Can you work at a shop, you know, once a week and make a couple extra bucks? Can you open your own type of little uh, business where you're performing that for others? You're making sculptures, all these different things, just trying to get the ideas rolling for them that it doesn't it life is not about committing to a career for 35 years. You know, we're living longer and longer nowadays. You can have multiple careers. You can do a lot of different things. Um, you know, along these same lines, I was thinking this when we when we were talking about just where you live. You have such a diverse population, and you've been talking about um, you know bringing in real world experiences. I think one of the biggest things that I've learned when you have students that come from diverse backgrounds, they move from another country, they're from just even a different area of the country. Their background knowledge is so different. And their understanding of a concept they're about to learn, a story they're about to read, if they don't have that background knowledge, they are going to struggle immensely, even if they have the ability to comprehend the material. What are strategies that you've used or you've supported other teachers with, technology maybe specifically, that really helps level the playing field in terms of providing background knowledge to students? I think... Well, I'm a, I'm a questioner. I love to read and all that, right? I love to, to read books and, and all that, but I am a question guy. 
I will ask questions and I will stop you. Hey, you know, I'll DM you. Hey, I have a question for you. So, so for me, I felt like if the students were able to ask questions, number one, in the classroom, that was, that was great for me. Right. And so what we did is like, one of the things I did is I, I had, you know, uh, the block classes and all that. So it was kind of navigating a block classroom is, you know, if you're, if the teacher's doing all the work, you know, and the kids are just kind of like performing, then it's kind of hard to kind of like keep a, a block classroom kind of running uh, the whole time. Right. So, uh, try to learn some strategies on stepping out of the way and all that. So the, class, the kids could do a lot of the work. But um, what we did is uh, usually on Fridays, what I would do is uh, I would say, look, okay, so you guys, we, you guys are sixth and seventh graders. You like to talk. I want to give you space to do that, but it has to be space that we're learning. Okay. And then, you know, if we have you know, the downtime or whatever, you know, that's great. We'll have that every now and then so often. So what we did is we set up these uh, common conversations, what we called them, common conversations. And so it was a space on Friday where uh, selected students throughout the week could come and they could ask questions, right? And they could ask questions about whatever uh, they were connected to. So it couldn't just be necessarily like, oh, you know, uh, something so totally random that was whatever. If it was something meaningful to them, they could ask a question about it. And so um, what I learned from that is, is they would ask a lot of questions about myself. They'd ask about my background, my culture, you know, my siblings and all that stuff. But they in turn would ask about each other's backgrounds. And so, uh, for example, I remember uh, this one kid, I'll, he'll remain unnamed or whatever. But I remember uh, literally when the school uh, brought this young man in, he was a seventh grade age. And um, he'd only had like three or four years of, of school. Okay. So his levels were, you know, he needed a lot of support. And so, um, but when it came to common questions, uh, this young man, common conversations, this young man would ask and he would have like just the greatest time connecting with others because he felt until that time, he felt like he was just like he was, uh, having behavior issues. He had no way of connecting with the class. Right. So, um, during those common conversations, he spoke only Spanish. But what the students were great at doing is supporting him and then letting me know, like, you know. And so he, he would ask about, you know, he asked about my skin color. He asked about all kinds of things. And he just wanted to know, right? He's in a new place. So anyway, we had those those uh, common conversations. And so it turned into a time of sharing. So the students actually looked forward to that. And we always tried to keep it to something they were connected to. Like uh, we would talk about uh, sometimes if something came up, uh, you know, kids – like I'm dating myself, I'm guessing, but One Direction was this great right band, and the kids were like, yeah. so something that they posed is like, so sir, why did they break up? Right, that was a question. I remember we talked about that like two Fridays in a row. I was like, wow, you guys just really like your music, right? So they talked about uh, why do bands break up, you know? And it was a short little time. I, we didn't give it, you know, we put a timer on a few minutes, had a conversation, and so um, they were able to also share about, you know their culture. So they shared about quinceañeras. I didn't, I wasn't really familiar with that here in the Valley quinceañera, right? This really special, uh, you know, promotion of the young lady to, to womanhood and, you know, uh, learning about, um, uh, uh, birthdays and, and 
pinatas and all, all that that fun stuff so getting all that knowledge right great sharing mine sharing theirs so that's one thing specifically we do so we discussion is always good to have in your classroom if it's directed if it's structured you know dis, uh, discussion is great so uh, loved having those uh, uh, common conversations uh, also background knowledge um, I think beginning of the year my first year I remember I made this lame PowerPoint to introduce myself, right? It's like all these bullet points. I read every single one. Picture my family, you know. Blah, blah, blah. So the next few years, uh, when I had them introduce themselves, we went and did the lab, and we started doing screencastifies so they could kind of like record a nice little video of themselves. And I said, "You don't have to do it. We have this option or this option." And you, but you know what? If you guys recorded a video, I think that'd be really cool. I'm gonna go ahead and record one, and I'll show you guys tomorrow. So I ran a little screencastify. Boom! Showed myself. Um, and so uh, from there, we you know, I took a little form and was able to get some data on them. Just like, you know, what's your favorite, uh, just your favorites, like favorite, what's your favorite band? What's your favorite a sport? And so then in turn, taking those things and kind of like helping the kids. So like if it was of a kid, if a team really liked the Cavs, you know, I try to like find something to kind of tie a math problem into, you know, the Cavs or whatever. So um so yeah, so getting data on them, number one, well, I won't say data, like uh, they're fun uh, things that they like. And then uh, having those uh, common conversations was a big time game changer. I think common conversations, just that, that sticks out to me, you know, so we've been doing in my room, a responsive classroom, which is really built around the concepts of, you know, uh, getting the kids up and moving and interacting and getting to know each other in new and unique ways early in the morning so that you create a classroom culture that allows you to feel connected to the kids, but the kids to feel connected to you and each other. And one of the things that, as you're mentioning that, I'm just reflecting right now and thinking, you know, I have done a great job or a purposeful job of connecting students to other students. And I have really purposely learned about my students academically and fairly surface level, fairly surface level. When, when I think about the grand, you know, there are many things we don't talk about in that realm, but, you know, in our, our, um, role as educators, again, it's a safe space for kids to ask so that they can grow. And that common conversation sounds like an awesome opportunity to, to have vulnerable conversations. I'll use a, a, an example. You know, my wife's mother is completely blind, cannot see, hasn't been able to see since Kristen was 14 years old. There are things that I would love to ask her that I've never asked her about the experience. And I just have accepted who she is and the incredible things that she's capable of doing. But I just don't ask her because it's not really appropriate right now in the relationship that we have. And I think about that in, you know, I work with nine-year-olds. They have these questions that are logical questions um, that probably would be simple. Everything from, 
why does this work? And you can answer that quickly to big grand questions that they will live with forever and possibly can unlock some passion of the kids to try and be the person that solves it. So I just super fascinated by that, that opportunity, but there's also like, can you real quick to, to add so that I can just personally benefit? What are the, the parameters that you put on it to keep it you know, appropriate. What what parameters? Obviously, you mentioned about the time frame, but what were you doing in that role to make sure that it's, uh, like you said, stayed targeted to your purpose uh, the entire time? Because you know, talking to Fridays about One Direction, it could that's our job, right? We love taking. That's the fun of being in the moment. And how am I pulling this into the curricular? topics and that might be Matt's class was talking about one direction because he was very distraught about the band breaking <laughs> yeah his kids didn't care but but you know what that that might be like you were saying the Cavs player how many baskets they scored in the last game compared to their season average that trend line like you can do different things and co- capitalize on that and the student that asked that question or that really was driving is like man they really got like that, that real, what a smooth job of incorporating it. So what are those parameters and, and anything else you'd like to share about that? So dealing with sixth and seventh graders and I'm sure ninth grade, nine year olds are, you know, whatever, if you could teach seventh grade and I don't know if any of y'all <laughs> have been middle school teachers, whatever, if you could teach seventh grade, you can do anything in the whole world. Okay. I'm sure people say that about, you know, Kinder or whatever, elementary, nine-year-olds, whatever. I think we all agree with what you're saying. Seventh grade is a brutal, (laughs) brutal time. Seventh grade. So so it was all moving them towards, okay, yes. Okay, what can we do to make our individual selves a little bit better? So things like, okay, if we want to have these common conversations, we need to agree on certain things. If you could write it down, number one, come in written down a little note card on your notebook or something that way at the time that you're thinking about it, you have it ready. Right. Because sometimes we would start the common conversations and I would ask the student, you know, Hey, it's your time. You kind of, this is, this is the week that you wanted to do it. And they would say, Oh, sir, you know, I, I don't, you know, okay, okay. We're going to move on. So I didn't ever want them to feel like anything that they were connected to wasn't important enough to, to for them to share. So we did that. Number one, if you can write it down, and also when they wrote it down, I could vet those things really quick. Like, okay, hey, this is, oh, okay, can I take it in this direction real quick? Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So we wrote it down. We set a little time limit, right? So it was block class. So I gave them the last 10 minutes. And in the last 10 minutes, we had to have the conversation and anybody could share. And, and what that means is I kind of would guide it, but I would really not talk that much. I would do majority of the listening. The students had to raise their hands. And so um, we tried to make it to where uh, the person who was connected to that student that was sharing, they were the ones that kind of guided, you know, were the majority guiders. They would pick, okay, okay uh, you know, Jose, can you, what, what, what's your thought? And so uh, we did that. Um, and then the time limit, I would always tell them like, hey, look, okay, sometimes these conversations uh, we're not going to finish. You know what? I would definitely love to finish them. But we may not finish, but um, what's something, uh, you know, 
if you want to continue sharing, what's another way that you guys want to share? Well, we can write about it. Okay, yeah, great. You guys, okay. Why don't you write something and then next time you can share or whatever it can be. Um, or I can post it. We had a nice little wall where we would post our uh, you know, thoughts and conversations and you know, nice things that we were saying to each other in the classroom. Uh, so, so those few things are the things that I did. And then um, I always wanted to make sure everyone shared. So I had a little list. And um, as soon as they shared, I'd be like, okay, so after we go round robin and everybody gets a chance, uh, you know, we'll, we'll start over again. So everyone had to say, share something they were connected to. And if it came down to that student that was like, sir, I, I just, I'm, I'm not going to share. I don't like talking in front of others, you know, I would say, okay, that's okay. Is there something that you're connected to that I can kind of lead the conversation and you can comment on? Um, okay. I would kind of pull their teeth a little bit. So ended up. I would run this, the conversation, but I would have them comment. And in the end, they end up sharing, you know, just as much. So uh, those two things. And I mean, it turned out to be great. We tried things like um, uh, Four Corners. We tried things like, um, uh, we, uh, you know, um, affirmations, whatever. With seventh graders, it has to be like, we have to kind of coach them like, hey, this needs to be real quick because we have, you know, 30, I can't take the whole block, whatever. And there were some days that the conversations were, were, were deep. I remember, uh, we, so, someone shared about, this is, I mean, I don't know why they were sharing about this, but they were sharing about how, um, these forces in the Middle East were using Twitter to get coordinates and like bomb. And he was like, well, sir, isn't, doesn't it seem that that's like a, a bad way to use social media. And so we had a whole social media conversation kind of built around that. And so very simple, you know, we didn't go into elaborates, but it was like, well, well, that's pretty cool. That's a deep thought, right? From that kid. So yeah, those are a few things that we did. Yeah. It's, it's, it's deep thought and it just, you know, you're taking small chunks to expose them to different ideas, to expose them to different topics. There was probably a lot of kids in your class that could care less about that topic, but there was maybe one, maybe three, maybe 10 that thought it was interesting. And maybe they went home and they read an article and now they're, you know, now they're becoming lifelong learners. So, you know, taking those small bite-sized chunks to do things like that, to connect with your kids, morning meeting, kinesthetic activities, those different things, you know, it's small. And if you, when you do it more, you become really efficient. Your kids become really efficient. It doesn't take much time, but that really, um, piles up, you know, when you get into the, the meat of the year, all of those efforts and times really brings the class together and you're able to accomplish so much more when you're getting down to the nitty gritty of the, of the lessons and the learning and the standards that you're, that you're teaching. So I don't want to cut this conversation off, but I do want to jump into our final segment that we have dubbed the exit ticket, uh, to, or the ticket out, the ticket out the door. Maybe we'll call that tonight to, to reference Matt earlier. So question number one, what is the best that actually, you know what, we're just going to have you do it on a Google form and we'll uh, call the recording now. So what is the best thing that a teacher can do to make a student school experience better? Oh, great question. Um, I think if I had to talk to myself as being a teacher first year again, I would say, uh, listen, way more like listen way more and then step out don't be afraid to step out like step away from the teaching like it's not about you the focus doesn't have to be about you everyone's eyes don't have to be about you all the time but what you can do is you can guide them to where they're kind of like running the class 
I feel like that probably is, is a great way to, you know, it's like you lose a little control, but you're going to gain a lot of, a lot more connecting to the kids and um, they're going to like in turn, like feel like more a part of the class. Okay. So include everyone, right? Always include everyone. Try to step out of the way a little bit and listen as much as you can. Those are incredibly solid. And I, I need to remember those going into tomorrow. What is, <laughs> what is really the, something that sticks out as a, a, maybe the best piece of advice you've gotten. Um, and this could be from a colleague, maybe a supervisor or even a student. Best piece of advice. Um, my, well, I, I think even when these, these two years of COVID, some teachers have uh, maybe lost a little confidence in themselves in, in moving to something they were very comfortable with into doing something that they didn't have a lot of comfort with. So I think uh, a lot of teachers may have, you know, you know, as before when you were, they were dealing with something tough, uh, they could kind of navigate it because they felt very comfortable in the classroom. You know, change here, or testing change here, changing this parameter, we got a new principal. All those things kind of weigh on a teacher. So I, I think um, in this new realm of technology, the digital gorge is what I call it, right? We had all this tech and all this. Uh, some teachers may have lost a little bit of their confidence. Uh, so the best piece of advice, uh, actually my better half, my wife, Don always told me if you stay confident, stay confident and true, like just stay confident, uh, you'll be able to kind of navigate all of the changes, right? So regardless of whether you've had the training or you're missing this or you feel lackluster, if you stay confident and know uh, what you know your heart is telling you is true and like this is what I'm supposed to be doing, um, then you're going to learn, you're going to grow. You're going to mature, right? And then you're going to be able to then look back and say, wow, that was a great time that I was able to to grow in, in my career and in my life. Ken's going to yell at me, but I have to give this feedback. I, I think that that's awesome, awesome advice. And I often think that a lot of times when we make judgment calls that we feel are in the best interest of kids, that opinion can change, but you can never have fault if at that moment you thought it was in the best interest. So if you're confident and true and doing your best, then you're doing it right. And that can change a thousand times, but, but no regrets in that situation. So I love that answer. Wonderful. But moving on to the next one, right? So we know that there are heavy times, uh, when you were in the classroom, there were times that were challenging. And now as a tech uh, integrator and, and support to your staff mainly, that that school year kind of goes in those waves. Um, there's our days that we struggle to just survive and get through. So what is something you could share to every educator um, that that needs to hear how to power up to, to push through those moments of struggle? Powering up. Okay. So... Um, uh, quick, quick little mini story. Um, so when my, we decided to have kids, uh, I had been in the classroom like three years already, four, four years, four years. And my wife had been in the classroom for three years. So we were going into this new realm, right. By having, having a, a child. So we had our son. And so the best thing that I was able to do was, um, I felt like being four years in, I kind of had a good rhythm. And so I had to decide to say no. And what that means is 
is I was saying yes to a lot of things. And, and we have a little saying in our home, we say yes to the best and no to all the rest. And sometimes that means you're saying no to some really great, good choices, right? But what I did is I decided to say, you know, at five o'clock, I'm going to have to stop and just go pick up the kid, go be dad. And my wife is going to get that time to leverage and, you know, continue to perfect her craft because she felt like that's what she needed, right? So I would say, um, right, and part, of, and part of that was to provide care to my son, right? So I think if you cheat towards home, you're always going to, like, have things in a great perspective. I know we are all workaholics. Usually educators are workaholics. It's an undiagnosed, you know, illness that everyone has. But um, working from, you know, 6.30, working until 7.30 and 8 p.m. at night is really not the norm. And it really, you know, can uh, just be very taxing. So I think, um, yes, we can work smarter and all that. The classroom is just a monster. And I totally get that. But sometimes we have to make some some tough decisions. And so for us and for me, that was a tough decision. So deciding to say no meant that, you know, I could have some time for self-care, really get some time with the family, and that will definitely transform your teaching. I remember it just does. You transform your teaching. My spouse and I, we had this rule where we would never talk about, like, what was going on in the classroom or whatever. But when I started doing that, we had some amazing conversations about how to teach, And so for us, that's just what it was. We had time, you know, one of us was available for kids and all kinds of stuff like that. So I would say, if you want to continue to power up, let your yes be your yes, let your no be your no, and just stand that ground and uh, everything's going to work out, no doubt. I love that. I think that's a, that's a great answer. And, and Matt and I just recorded a, I think the previous show, show 55, talking about you know, when we first started, you're saying yes to everything and, you know, how to make that decision on what to say yes to, what to say no to. It's it's so important. Um, I, I constantly remind teachers on weekends, on breaks, shut your computer down and don't look at it until Sunday night. You know, you have to you have to turn it off because when you turn it back on, like you said, James, you are better. You are bringing a better product when you're working less because you're you're bringing a new a new focus and a and a you know, re-energize power version of, of yourself. So the last question um, is, it's so easy to fall into facilitating a repetitive classroom. So what do you think separates the teachers who are constantly seeking to change, innovate, and incorporate new teaching strategies into their classroom? I have to kind of quote the great Casey Bill. Um, they are able to bring dynamic learning to the classroom, all right? Static learning is repetitive, I think. And right, routines are great. Uh, Students need structure. They need routines. But uh, our lessons and their learning should be dynamic, which means uh, it may not necessarily look the same way at any time. It could always be dynamic. Uh, I can, uh, you know, change part of my lesson. I can, uh, you know, uh, add technology. I can have, you know, put them in groups. I mean, you'd be surprised at how many uh, teachers are so comfortable with the things that they're doing that they they really don't necessarily want to kind of like, uh, you know, step outside of that. It's it's like almost stepping outside of themselves because, you know, one part of themselves is like, I'm, I, I just have it and I know this works. It's great. It does work. 
but we remember we have to remember that it's the learn we're not the ones learning it's got to be the students right so uh dynamic learning i think is what separates uh teachers that are trying to be innovative and i, ha- I have to always remember and do this in our district as well uh if a teacher is like learning something small they make a small step to me and to them i have to take that as they learned something dynamically they were innovative right because a crawl is is still movement it's still uh progress so something you know i i've, I've had to learn that and kind of like take a step back just because they're not like taking this tool and using all the bells and whistles it's great but, you know i have to remember it's not about the tool it's about their learning and so i think um Teachers that are growing and trying to be innovative, uh, they're they're changing because it's purposeful. They they want to give their kids a new experience. They want to uh, have you know the student that never comments or anything say they were connected to that lesson. So I think they're just trying to continue to reach the heart of kids. I think that's what innovation is. It's just an engagement to me. That's what engagement is. A student connecting with the lesson. That's what engagement is. And so I think those are what uh, educators that are trying to be innovative. That's what they're trying to do. I've I've loved so many of your answers, which leads to the last part is how can we continue this conversation? What's the best way that, James, we can continue to learn and and interact with you, um, kind of uh, keep that conversation going? Um, Awesome. Um, So we my wife and I host uh, uh, an evening Sunday evening Twitter chat that right now is kind of in the lab phase. So it's in the lab. Uh, We're probably going to pick it back up. Uh, we don't know. We have one scheduled for February 20th, but that uh, Twitter chat is called the uh, hashtag RGVEDU chat. Uh, RGV here, Rio Grande Valley. That's the area that we live in. We're connecting educators uh, with uh, themselves you know, around the community and around the world. Uh, also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at James Varlack. And uh, definitely love, you know, a follow. Definitely want to interact and connect. So uh, that's what's kind of going on with us right now. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. Uh, definitely give James a follow if you uh, have not already. Um, I, I We did with our Powered Up platform, and I, I made sure I, I did that today as well personally um, so I can continue to, to stay in touch with you and learn from you. And if you haven't already, uh, give give us a, a follow as well. I'm at Ken Ehrman. Uh, Matt is at EdTechNeighbor, and we are at PowerEDUUp as well. So everything that James talked about, some some of the references, uh, his Twitter handle and, and links to that hashtag can all be found on our website at powereduup.com slash show 56. So you can jump on there. You can listen to the, the recording, see the YouTube version, as well as, as grab some links and some notes from there. So James, thank you so much for your time. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, really dynamic conversation. We, we hit a lot of different topics and, and you're a very open, honest educator. Your district is clearly very lucky to have you as a part of that community. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep making a difference for those students and, and for those teachers. And thanks again for jumping on with us. So uh, Mr. Rogers, why don't you take us on out of here? As we power down this episode, James, as Ken mentioned, you left us feeling super powered up bring on tomorrow let's get after it and uh i'll use a line from your twitter bio uh continue to to bridge the gap between education and technology but really bridge the gap between education and your kids Um, how can you make that connection how can you continue to 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 drive and and make a difference every every day every lesson every opportunity so stay well stay safe and we'll talk to you next week thanks guys